With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Planet Logic. Today's episode, How Trump Could Drain the Swamp. I'm Lynn Woolley, the pilot of the podcast, the Secretary of Logic, taking the vital issues of the day, stripping them of their emotion, and analyzing them with logic of forethought. First, a word about Veterans Day. It originally was called Armistice Day commemorated every year on November 11 to mark the armistice signed between the allies of World War I and Germany in France at 5.45 a.m. for the cessation of hostilities on the western front of World War I. This all took effect at 11 o'clock in the morning, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. President Eisenhower later changed it to Veterans Day to honor all of our veterans which we do now. Thank you for what you have done to preserve freedom. Another Republican congressman has announced he's stepping down. This is Republican Congressman Peter King announcing on Monday morning he will not seek re-election in New York's 2nd Congressional District. Look how long this guy's been there, though. 30 years, and finally he says that's enough. Isn't this one of our problems? Last week, we talked about all the corruption in Congress, and I think these long service terms are part of the problem. On November 14, 2016, I wrote a column for WB Daily entitled, How Donald Trump Could Drain the Swamp. Now, since then, he's been president for about three years. He's tried to do some swamp draining. He has. He certainly has drained a lot of the swamp with regard to the judiciary, but there's still a lot of work to do. And I want to go back to what I wrote then because it is all just as pertinent now as it was then. If Trump could get it done, we could actually drain the swamp. But there are certain things that have to be done in order to accomplish it. Here's some of the things we could do. You have to start with term limits. We just mentioned Peter King dropping out of Congress after 30 years, but for crying out loud, that's 15 terms. It's hard to believe that people put people back that long, but, they, but the incumbency is a very powerful thing and the voters keep doing it. As long as politicians crave power, they will spend more time raising campaign cash and shoring up voting constituencies by bringing home pork than they will on building a stronger America under the Constitution. Trump is going to have trouble with this because, as we saw with Senator Robert Byrd and with Senator Ted Kennedy, they tend to cling to their offices until the day they die. Term limits would put a chink in that if it can be done, but it's by no means the only thing that President Trump could do to drain a swamp. So let's count the ways. In order to stop political corruption, elected and appointed Offices at the national level must return to the area of public service rather than the current model of personal power and wealth accumulation, and that means the incentive to stay in power forever has to be eliminated. Term limits would provide the obvious easy answer. Harry Reid, the corrupt Senate minority leader who is now out of office, was in some form of elective office since 1968, at this writing something like 48 years in office. That's far too long. Reed's corrupt nature incubated during his time as a coddled elected official. It's my thought that political office, especially in Washington, D.C., is itself a corrupting influence that very few people can shake off. I thought then, and I think now. 
that it's very addictive. We already have added term limits to the presidency, two four-year terms. Why not do the same for U.S. senators? Six-year terms are too long, and it gives incumbents a long time to fundraise and build a campaign chest that few challengers can match. That's why senators almost always get reelected. An even better way to control senators? Abolish the 17th Amendment. Now, this was a power grab, and let's talk about it. If we abolish the 17th Amendment, this would allow state legislatures to control who goes to the U.S. Senate. It would reverse the biggest single exchange of power ever made by Washington, taking the power from the states and giving it to the federal bureaucracy. We should do it and limit senators to eight years, even if the legislatures appoint them. Six years in Congress, buddy boy, and then you go home. I used to think House members should be able to serve six terms or 12 years, but the corruption is too widespread. Members take too many trips, have large entourages when they travel in the district. They fundraise too much. Three terms is enough. Serve, then leave, and let somebody else come in and serve, and then leave. Leadership packs. We talked about this last week, the great 60 Minutes feature that Steve Croft did on them. Kill them. Get rid of them. All forms of insider trading have to go. Remember, the Congress got caught for insider trading. It passed ethics legislation to help the situation. Then after it died down, it turned around and amended it so they could get right back to their old ways. We've got to cut the salaries of congressmen and senators and instead force them to live in government-provided housing near the Capitol. Give them a small travel budget to go back and forth between D.C. and their home districts. Are you seeing where I'm going here to make service in Congress actually service, to make it a sacrifice, to make it something that the rich and, and the people who want to be powerful and crave powerful will not want to do just for the sake of it, just for the sake of power and getting rich and being adored by the public? Make it service. Make it like a volunteer situation almost. Now, they'd have to get paid or poorer people couldn't ever run. But make it about service. And then there's K Street. That's where the lobbyists are. Lobbying is an honorable activity protected under the Bill of Rights. But it has become subverted. If we abolish the 17th Amendment, as I said earlier, that fixes a lot of it. Here's a couple of more ideas. No elected member of the federal government who has served more than a year may ever take a job as a lobbyist. Appointed officials may, but only after a 10-year waiting period. Members of Congress must disclose in writing if any bill they introduce has been written in whole or part by a lobbying firm and must state the sections so affected and the name of the firm and its client. And then we could look at it with, with truth and understand who actually wrote that bill. And then we could look and see why did that lobbying firm write this bill and then it got in the bill, or it got introduced, what did the congressman get out of this? Let's make it a felony for a member of Congress to accept anything from a lobbyist, with a minimum one-year mandatory jail sentence for the giver and the taker. If a few members of Congress and some lobbyists did some time, the bribery would stop. And I'm talking here about everything. I'm talking about meals, rides across town, a taxi cab fare, football tickets, baseball tickets, nothing. No congressman, no member of Congress, and no unelected member of the bureaucracy could take anything from lobbyists, period except information. Let's also pass strong new laws against insider trading in Congress. Members should come home poorer than when they went to D.C., not richer. Franking privileges, that's free mailing. 
for members of Congress should be tightened to four newsletters a year at most, none during campaigns. Now let's talk about campaigns. They start early, they never end. Let's set a 60-day period prior to each election for fundraising and campaigning. Our members of Congress spend far too much time raising money, and it needs to stop. I realize this is tedious and may infringe on freedom to raise funds if there is such a thing, but remember, we are trying to drain the swamp. Now, how about the president? President Obama spent an unbelievable amount of time attending fundraisers. Toward the end of the Clinton-Trump election, that's about all he was doing. It seemed the business of the country was on hold while he tried to save his legacy from Donald Trump. So put him inside the 60-day period as well. We don't elect a president to endlessly raise money for his party or his legacy. To effectively drain the swamp, we also have to change the income tax code. Campaign donations, which are protected political speech, are often intended to curry favor for changes in the tax code. If we really want to drain the swamp, the tax code's got to go. Abolish it. Get rid of it. Put a knife in its heart. The fair tax, or some type of simple flat tax, would make many contributions unnecessary since tax code favors would no longer be for sale. What about charities? Politicians should not be able to do like the Clintons and sell access through family foundations. A watchdog of some sort should monitor and audit organizations like the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Global Initiative, to make sure they are serving as true charities and not just as political tools. Or I might add as fundraising mechanisms for people like the Clintons. Government agencies. Three agency heads, the FBI director, the head of the IRS, and the U.S. Attorney General should be totally independent and bipartisan. We have seen what these heads should not be. We need legislation to remove them from politics and ensure their independence. And Trump's attorneys general have caught a lot of flack for being partisan, but my gosh, those in the Obama administration were all political. Draining the swamp will not be easy. Trump has really tried to accomplish this, and he's made some progress, but not nearly enough. It is him against most of Washington, and of course, by keeping Trump continually involved in protecting himself from impeachment, he hasn't been able to drain the swamp as much as we'd like. A corrupt system, though, will always try to save itself. It will fight any attempt at reform. Trump promised to do it, and he should. The people are very concerned about corruption, as well they should be. We see it all the time. Adam Schiff is about as corrupt as they come. We've seen Harry Reid. We've seen so many in both parties, to be fair. Randy Duke Cunningham may, have been, may be the most corrupt politician ever in Congress, and he was a Republican. So let the draining begin. From Fable Studio L, this is Planet Logic. It's almost showtime in Washington. The House impeachment inquiry of President Donald Trump begins its public phase on Wednesday. All the big networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, plus the cable networks will all be carrying this thing live, and millions of people will tune in, and we'll see if anybody's mind is really changed. Eric Swalwell, who is on the House Intelligence Committee, which is erroneously, in my opinion, the committee in charge of all this, that's Adam Schiff's committee. Eric Swalwell is on that committee, and he is claiming that the Democrats have found evidence of an extortion scheme by Trump on Ukraine. So he's on CBS's Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan. We have enough evidence from the depositions that we've done to warrant bringing this forward, evidence of an extortion scheme using taxpayer dollars to ask a foreign government to investigate the president's opponent. But it's important that these witnesses raise their right hands and take questions 
from both Republicans and Democrats. The president is going to get that. It's important that the Republicans be afforded the opportunity to suggest witnesses that we should call and that we determine whether that is relevant. That that you know the facts are just as important right. as the process behind the facts as far as what if anything goes over to the but Senate. But do you expect anything new from these testimonies, or is it going to be a recitation of what we can read in these depositions already? These witnesses have been fairly consistent, uh, and for the most part, they've not been coordinating or talking to each other. But again, this is America, and we don't just have you know railroading of justice. These witnesses you know should come public, and mm-hmm. you know the American people should judge for themselves as well as. We will as to, you know, what happened. Did you catch that little comment? Swalwell saying we determine whether that is relevant. By we, he means Democrats. The Democrats are going to decide who can come testify and what evidence is put into place here. The Republicans are going to have no power to decide anything like that. So does that mean Hunter Biden will testify, won't testify? What about his father, Joe Biden? Margaret Brennan asked about that. The Republican Party put forward yesterday a list of suggested witnesses they would like to see called um, uh, on their Hunter Biden and his business partner. Is it safe to say they will never come before the House Intelligence Committee? Well, as Chairman Schiff has said, we're not going to go back in time and revisit conspiracy theories that are implicated in the president's call. And, you know, it was former Secretary of Homeland Security Tom Bossert who told Jake Tapper a couple weeks ago that he was telling the president that much of what the president alleged in that phone call to President Zelensky about the Ukrainians involved mm-hmm. in 2016 was just nonsense. And so we don't want to revisit conspiracy theories. If people have relevant information to this investigation and the president's conduct, of course, we want to hear from them. So that's no to the Bidens. I'll leave that to the chairman. I I don't see any relevancy with the Bidens. There's no evidence that anything improper has happened. And witnesses have been asked about the Bidens and said that Vice President Biden In every way, Mm -hmm. these witnesses and the way they worked with him conducted himself with integrity. He sounds like Aaron Burnett on CNN who stops guests in their tracks if they're Republicans and they come on CNN talking about this and bring up the Bidens. She'll come back and say, there is no evidence or all of this against the Bidens has been totally debunked. It's as if Eric Swalwell and Jeff Zucker of CNN are in cahoots with each other, and they are not about to put the Bidens in any kind of jeopardy whatsoever. So what kind of a hearing is this? So these hearings are actually nothing but a sham, even before they get started. You know what I think? I think the American people are going to tune into this thing by the millions. As we say, it's going to be on all the broadcast networks. It's, they're going to be carried on all the cable networks. The people will watch this. The Republicans, the Trump lovers, the people who go to the Trump rallies are going to be reinforced in what they already believe. So are the Democrats. Who's going to be energized more? The Democrats trying to elect somebody like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren? Are the Republicans who are trying to keep those socialists out of office? We'll find out a year from now. I'm Lynn Woolley, and this is Planet Logic. Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor and Trump administration ambassador to the United Nations, has a new memoir out. In it, she talks about John Kelly and Rex Tillerson trying to recruit her to undermine President Trump. The interview is with CBS Evening News anchor Nora O'Donnell, and they're talking about former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly and former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. And then the Secretary of State Tillerson went on to tell you the reason he resisted the president's decisions was because if he didn't, people would die. You memorialize that conversation. It definitely happened. It absolutely happened. And instead of saying that to me, they should have been saying that to the president, not asking me to join them on their sidebar plan. 
It should have been, go tell the president what your differences are and quit if you don't like what he's doing. But to undermine a president is really a very dangerous thing. And it goes against the Constitution and it goes against what the American people want. And it was was offensive. Of course, CBS's O'Donnell wanted to know if Haley thinks the president's going to be tossed out of office. Do you think ultimately the president will be impeached and removed from office? No. On what? You're going to impeach a president for asking for a favor that didn't happen and and giving money and it wasn't withheld? I don't know what you would impeach him on. I mean, look, Nora, impeachment is like the death penalty for a public official. When you look at the transcript, there's nothing in that transcript that warrants the death penalty for the president. And I think that, to be clear, it was not a complete transcript. There are still things that are missing from it. And in that, he does say, I would like you to do us a favor, though. The Ukrainians never did the investigation and the president released the funds. I mean, when you look at those, there's just nothing impeachable there. And more than that, I think the the biggest thing that bothers me is the American people should decide this. Why do we have a bunch of people in Congress making this decision? Nora O'Donnell, who conducted this interview, is a bona fide member of the mainstream media. She's an anchor on CBS Evening News, and she did this interview probably hoping to get Nikki Haley to say something bad, see if she could get her off track on President Trump. But Haley stood firm, said there is no reason for the impeachment, no reason for these current proceedings, and nothing, no evidence to throw Trump out of office. Office. I'm Lynn Woolley, and this is Planet Logic. Elsewhere in the news, Germany and the Allies have marked 30 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall, a story by Frank Jordans of the Associated Press. Germany marked the 30th anniversary on Saturday of the opening of the Berlin Wall, a pivotal moment in the events that brought down communism in Eastern Europe. Leaders from Germany, Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic attended a ceremony where one of the last parts of the Berlin Wall remains before placing roses in the once fearsome barrier that divided the city for 28 years. The Berlin Wall, ladies and gentlemen, is history, German Chancellor Angela Merkel said later at a memorial service inside a small chapel near where the wall once stood. It teaches us no wall that keeps people out and restricts freedom is so high or so wide that it can't be broken down. And noting the cruelty of the East German regime, which had torn down a previous church on the former death strip site so snipers could get a better shot at people fleeing over to the West, Merkel paid tribute to those who were killed or imprisoned during the communist dictatorship and insisted that the fight for freedom worldwide isn't over. It's certainly not over in the United States. We have socialists and communists running for president right now. But are you noticing something missing in this article so far, something I haven't mentioned, someone I haven't mentioned? Let me continue. Speaking to European leaders, the head of the Berlin Wall Memorial Site, Axel Klausmeier, recalled the images of delirious Berliners from east and west crying tears of joy as they hugged each other on the evening of November 9, 1989. Thirty years on, Germany has become the most powerful economic and political force on the continent, but there remain deep misgivings among some in the country about how the transition from socialism to capitalism was managed. I don't see the name Ronald Reagan in here anywhere. It was Reagan that started history on this particular flow. When he went to the Brandenburg Gate in West Berlin and made a speech on June 12, 1987, that absolutely changed the course of history. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. 
Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And of course, as the song says, on November 9 of 89, the wall came tumbling down. Some court cases in the news. Mark Sherman's story, Associated Press, the Supreme Court is taking up the Trump administration's plan to end DACA. That's the legal protection that came around under Obama that shields about 660,000 from deportation, a case with strong political overtones amid the 2020 presidential election campaign. All eyes will be on Chief Justice John Roberts, who is now the swing vote in this. We're, of course, talking about Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, an Obama-era program that aimed to bring out of the shadows people who have been in the United States since they were children and are in the country illegally. In some cases, they have no memory of any home other than the United States. There's a lot of sympathy for these folks. I have sympathy for them. I could see a one-time fix if Congress would do it, but I don't think Congress can agree on anything on immigration because of politics. The Democrats don't want to make their base mad, and the Republicans don't want to make their elite base mad, the people who want to hire cheap immigrant labor, by doing anything that might move the cause of illegal immigration forward in a good way for the United States of America, in a good way toward getting our borders secured. So it's never going to happen. But are we a country? of law? Are we a country of men? This is what is at stake. If we want to do a one-time fix, then Congress needs to get together and do that one-time fix. Otherwise, the DACA kids are going to have to go back home and reapply to come back in the country, and maybe they can be put at the head of the list some way. I don't know. This is something both parties cost, the Republicans and the Democrats. The Democrats because they want cheap votes, and the Republicans because they want cheap labor, and we are seeing the fruits of these awful policies. Paul J. Weber in the Associated Press out of Austin. In his five years as Texas governor, Republican Greg Abbott has overseen the execution of nearly 50 prisoners while only once sparing a condemned man's life after a victim's family asked him to do so. Abbott talks all the time about Texas justice, but he has never confronted such intense pressure to halt a lethal injection like he is facing in the case of Rodney Reed. Reed is set to die this month for a 1996 killing, despite new evidence that even a growing number of Republican legislators say raises serious questions about his guilt. This past Saturday, supporters of Reed held their biggest protest yet outside the governor's mansion, escalating a public campaign that now counts Beyonce, Kim Kardashian, and Oprah Winfrey among the celebrities who have urged Abbott to call off the November 20 execution. So, too, has the European Union's ambassador to the United States. Abbott hasn't spoken publicly about Reed's case, but according to Weber's story, some Republican lawmakers who are close to the governor and have lobbied his office in recent days and weeks for a reprieve say they are in the dark about his thinking. Reed is now 51. He was convicted of raping and strangling 19-year-old Stacy Stites while she made her way to work at a supermarket in Bastrop. Reed has long maintained that Stites was killed by her fiancé, former police officer Jimmy Fennell. Reed says Fennell was angry because Stites, who was white, was having an affair with Reed, who is black. In recent weeks, Reed's attorneys have presented affidavits that support his claims, including one by a former prison inmate who claims Fennell bragged about killing Stites and referred to Reed by a racial slur. 
Count me among those who believe we ought to check into this one a little bit more. If serious new evidence emerges, there is no reason to have haste on an execution that could kill an innocent person. So let's check it out a little bit more, and let's make sure we do the right thing. Find us on the internet at planetlogic.us. We're on Facebook and Twitter at planetlogic. Until next time, this is Lynn Woolley saying be logical, take a stand for this great country, and God bless President Trump. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.